I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often in hours. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one-day rule on its head and offer back-to-back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code DATABLE and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, USU, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Krafchick, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Dateable Podcast where we are full and we are ready to (laughs) tackle the rest of the year now that we're done with Thanksgiving. This is where all the holiday shit starts happening, right? It's... (laughs) This is the beginning of it all. And it's also the beginning of cuffing season. Oh, yes. And we are here to help you <laughs> through cuffing season. Consider us your Sherpas through all the cuffing that's about to happen. Relationships, they begin and they end around the holidays. We know because we've both been there. And that is our mission with a Dateable Podcast <laughs> is get to the bottom of these behaviors and patterns that we see. And so we can be better equipped for when things happen. Mm -hmm. And we are so excited about our episode today. We are talking about what it means to have a healthy relationship. So we have back a fan favorite, 
We have Woo. Connor Beaton. He was on season 12, episode one, socially distant yet emotionally available, one of our top rated episodes, I believe. Mm-hmm. And we are lucky to have him joined by his wife, Vienna Farron, who is a very popular marriage and family therapist of Mindful MFT. So we're super excited to have both of them together. And I think this concept of healthy relationship is something that's tossed around a lot. We've definitely said that before, because I think a big part of Dateable is that we want to like create the relationships that work for us ultimately. And a lot of us don't want to repeat our family, our parents' relationship potentially, uh, divorces that have happened. I think we're all kind of out there to have a healthy relationship. That's a a term that gets maybe as buzzed as emotionally available. I don't know. They're probably (laughs) neck and neck, those two. It's also kind of like saying I'm looking for a nice person to date. It's like it's the status quo. You should be wanting a healthy relationship. And if you do have a healthy relationship, it shouldn't feel like you're a unicorn. Yeah, that should be what all of us are in is a healthy relationship. But why is it so hard to identify what a healthy relationship is, is For example, some of us didn't grow up with great examples Mm -hmm. of what a good relationship is. You don't understand what healthy even means. For me, I had no idea what love even meant because that was never a word that was used in my family. Mm. And so when you have to relearn all of this from the beginning, it's a really scary thing. It's also very exciting because it means you get to carve out what it means to have a healthy relationship for you specifically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think modern dating is extremely dysfunctional also. So I think when you do... Thank you. Thank you, modern dating. Obvious, Without obvious. you, there wouldn't be us. But I think that's why when you do, there is this, like, your sight is set on a healthy relationship. So you can get out of the dysfunction of ghosting and, you know, dating apps and all the stuff that you contribute to that dysfunctional relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I would argue that every healthy relationship has dysfunction in it. Mm-hmm. Does not mean that healthy relationships are free of dysfunction. It just means how healthy relationships know how to evolve out of the dysfunction and conflicts. Yes. So I'm going to give us our listeners a little behind the scenes into how we work. But Yue and I always create an outline for our episodes. But that being said, if the convo is going in a different direction and it's working and we think it's good material, we'll keep it going. So I think for this episode, particularly, we had our like long list of things that we wanted to cover and what a healthy relationship means. I don't even think we even talked about communication that much. I think that's a given, but it wasn't like a topic within itself. It obviously came through just because it always does. But we talk so much about conflict Mm -hmm. in this episode. And more, that's kind of like reminded me of what you just said, there's always going to be some dysfunction, but how do you get through it? And they said something that has sat with me for like the last like two weeks since we recorded this of just, you know, like, how can you look for someone that you can do conflict with? And Mm. that is never something that is on anyone's list of things in a partnership. There is almost an irony of just how much time we spend talking about conflict when we're talking about healthy relationships. But I think it does come back to what you were just saying of, you know, there's inevitably going to be miscommunications and, you know, some aspects that aren't always smooth sailing because it's two people merging together that have years and years of upbringings that vary dramatically. Think about this behavior for a sec, because I know so so many of you have done this, I have, is you have a problem with your partner and the first thing you do is complain about 
about it to your friends, right? Yes. You go to brunch and you're like, I can't believe he did this. <laughs> Am I right for saying this? Why is your first reaction not to go to your partner? I never understood that with myself. And I get the same way, you know, at work, I get into conflicts with my coworkers. And the first thing I want to do is complain about the coworker with someone else or like go to HR. But why can't I address it head on yeah. with the person? I think it's just that we're so afraid to rock the boat. But at the same time, it's never a good look when you complain about your partner to your friends and then you stay with your partner and then you expect them to take your partner aside later on. It never works. So I had a really interesting revelation last week. And I think like for a long time, I was like after my last relationship, one of the top things for me was someone that is emotionally healthy. Mm -hmm. Like that was a word that I used a lot. And I think for me, I mean, my last partner had, you know, depression that he was dealing with. So I think for me, I was like, I don't want someone that's facing mental health issues or challenges. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've learned in the last year plus, I think mental health has been even more front and center than ever before with COVID and everything that's been going on in the last couple of years. And even through our community, for instance, like how openly we talk about mental health and how we've done episodes about mental health since then, I think everyone is dealing with something. I think the the idea sure. that someone is a hundred percent meant like healthy, quote unquote, like mentally, like that doesn't even make sense. It's it's almost like there's a judgment in it too. Mm-hmm. It's like when you see someone that may be a little overweight and you say that they're unhealthy. Mm. You don't know that. That's just a perception that's being being made. I think that we just like this idea that we're all perfect and we have everything figured out. And we can't enter a relationship till we have all our shit worked through. I think it's a complete illusion. Like I don't think that exists. And I think mm-hmm. I was expecting maybe even on this conversation with Vienna and Connor to be like, yeah, you know, you need to be all healed and good to go. And they basically said the exact opposite. Your relationships are a healer for you. Of course, this is on a spectrum. If you're really really not in a good place, then maybe it's not the right time to date. But I do think that like we can't expect to be 100% healed or 100% quote unquote healthy, whatever that even means. And I don't think that should prevent us from being with someone because you really just need to find someone that appreciates your imperfections and embraces them because we all have them. So is that your revelation in uh, relations to your previous relationship versus now? I think the revelation was maybe that wasn't the actual issue of my last relationship. Mm. I think the actual issue was that the commitment wasn't there. Mm. I think ultimately in communication wasn't there, like, or the ability to deal with conflict. Like, I think the stuff that we talk about in this episode is that there's always going to be ups and downs. You also can't predict life. Like, even if someone is in a good place right this minute, what happens when a parent passes away or they lose a job? Like, there's no, like, predicting fully how someone's going to deal with every situation. I think we also can't expect people to just be all by buttoned up and like pretend like nothing happened. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I think it could be also a great excuse to say this person wasn't emotionally healthy. And Mm -hmm. so therefore, the relationship didn't work out. But as we've learned also in our finding your person program is people break up not because the feelings are gone, 
not because the connection's gone or the chemistry's gone. It's because someone stopped trying. Mm -hmm. And when one person of the two stops trying and loses that commitment, it's not going to (laughs) work. That's just the end of it. No matter where you are in your mental health, it's just one person stops trying just doesn't work. Right. So I... I think it's having a partner, like, you know, Logan has said in her interview with us, she and her husband started dating and they just never stop. And mm-hmm. I think that's what a healthy relationship is. You just never stop trying. Right. Someone that will hold your purse. That was her statement. Yeah. And I think that one has stayed with me. It's like, you know, someone that's just there for you unconditionally. And, yeah. you know, someone that you can be yourself around, someone that you can have the difficult conversations with and they don't feel like conflict is coming out or even if there is conflict, not being afraid of it and just being able to deal with it head on. And, you know, um, I looked at like, this is like a cheesy article, but like the three C's of a healthy relationship. And, you know, it was it was communication, commitment and um, conflict resolution. No, it wasn't conflict resolution, although that should be the fourth C. Compromise (laughs) was the last one. Uh, uh, And compromise is an interesting word, I think. But I do see you have to take two people into account. I think that's what it ultimately means. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that you're always sacrificing your own needs, but it means that you're thinking about both of you as a collective unit and not just your needs only. Right. Yes. So this last week for Thanksgiving, we had a lot of dateable community members meet up with each other, uh, specifically in, in LA. And I was able to meet up with two of those members, Brian and Eric, for a few margaritas. I was the one drinking <laughs> That's margaritas. That's where all the revelations <laughs> happen. <laughs> uh, but I want to just really point out something that Brian said in our conversation because we're talking, of course, we're going to be talking about dating. And it's the same thing we're talking about right now, Julie. It's like ultimately what matters is you want to do life with someone and you want someone to be by your side. So he told me that after each date, he does journaling mm. and his journaling starts with let's get all the emotions out, all the feelings. Why are you excited? Why, why did you like this person? Without any judgment, just write it all down. And then he takes a few minutes and he looks back and then he asks himself, would you want to see this person again and why? And then he would kind of compare the two different answers. One is like, like all emotions. And the other one is really like sitting back and thinking, could I do life with this person? Mm. And sometimes you can see a huge difference in those dates where maybe you see that you're really excited about someone because of their occupation, because of the way they look, because Mm -hmm. of these factors that don't really fucking matter later in life. And then if you were to ask again, would you want to see this person again? Why? If the reasons are because I really feel like we are connected to each other, I feel like there's mutual respect. I feel like um, we could create something together. Those are answers, you know, that lead you into that future mm-hmm. potential. But if the answers are like, this person's hot. Yeah. <laughs> we, we got drunk and had a good time. It was fun. I mean, that's cool. That's great. But if you're looking for that partner, does it mm-hmm. actually lead you to that purpose? I love that. The only devil's advocate I'd play on that is how much do you know after one date? Are you going to discount people that maybe you don't see that side? I still think the first date really is to see if you can have fun with someone and to like even like them on some level. I do agree, though, with this statement of if it's all fun and there's no, you know, future potentially, then maybe it's important to check in. I think this exercise would be ideal after the third date, but that's just my only caveat to it. 
it. I think it's good to do it after every day. Yeah. Yeah, right? So you don't get so wrapped up in the, your feelings. And something that he discovered was he was really wrapped up in in what someone represented, the mm. idea of someone versus who they actually were. So this exercise helped him separate the two. I think that's an important caveat, too. I think so much of this, it's hard to give blanket advice to yeah. the masses because we've talked about this before. We have like a cohort of people that gives people so many tries over and over again. And then there's another cohort that like won't give anyone. They'll be like, oh, you're not six feet. I'm done. I'm not doing this. Mm -hmm. So I think so much of it is knowing yourself and where you kind of swing on the spectrum. Again, everything is on a spectrum. If you're the type of person that sees yourself getting wrapped up in superficial qualities, then I think this is a great exercise to do. If you're the type of person that knows that you might need to give people more of a chance, then like that you can take that into account also. For sure. How was your Thanksgiving, Julie? It was great. It was really really fun. Um, I think we had uh, way too much to drink as my friend had warned me about. So <laughs> the caveat I had going, I went to a fr- my friend's parents' house in Sausalito, which is north of San Francisco for anyone outside the area. Her one caveat was, we're going to get drunk. Like that was the <laughs> caveat going in. And Friday, we did a whole lot of nothing because of that. But it was super fun. There you go. They were super sweet. They um, had my boyfriend come too. And he ended up being the star of the show because he helped with so much food. And they said they couldn't have done Thanksgiving without him. Oh, hey, brownie points right there. The best part of it too was that I was with my friend's family. So I got to hear all, you know, like everyone's like always afraid of the crap their family is going to give us. Mm -hmm. At one point, it was just me and her parents. Like everyone else was doing something else, like prepping or something. (laughs) And her mom turns to me and she's like, how did you meet your boyfriend? She loved him at this point because he was helping with all the stuff. And I sent a dating app. And she's like, why can't my friend meet someone on a dating app? And she's like, I know the reason. It's because she writes about her cat in her dating profile. <laughs> like, what is she thinking? And then she came back and she just like proceeded to give her shit about the fact that she writes about her cat in her dating profile. And my friend's like, I took that out years ago. she's like i don't have a problem talking to people that's not my problem (laughs) hey parents always think that they have a reason for why they're single she knew that the secret was the cat that was what was holding her back i mean she's still convinced on that whether it's in the profile or not It was great, though. I'm going to side with the mom at this point. I don't think it has anything to do with the cat. It's just that your profile shouldn't be about anybody but you. So it could be about a fucking squirrel. I don't care. Don't talk about these things. It should be about you. So yes, mom, you're right. I loved it. And the best was when you were there and you were experiencing it, but it wasn't directed at you. That was the best. I highly recommend going to a friend's family's house for Thanksgiving. But also, isn't it isn't it sexy to see how your I, I guess sexy is not really the term sometimes, but how, to see how your partner is with during the holidays. Mm-hmm. And I think like around your friends or even your friend's family or like a friend's giving to see how helpful oh, yeah. they can be, to see how social they can be. I think that's one of the first times I really started falling in love with mm-hmm. my partner was at the friend's giving that mm. we went to. And he was cleaning up dog poop the entire time because there were nine fucking dogs <laughs> at this house party. 
party. And the whole time he's just like, hey, nice to meet you. I am cleaning up some shit I right remember now. that. And I just kept thinking, like, that sucks. But also, I'm starting to love you because you're you're being very helpful right now. No, I think the helpful trait is a real legit quality. My boyfriend is super helpful. And we had a Hanukkah party and he was in there cooking Uh with me and doing it. We got up super early to cook. It's definitely something that makes you fall for someone a bit more. Yes. Yes. How was your Thanksgiving, UA? <laughs> it was great. My mom cooked a goose. We did oh, not right. go the turkey route. And my partner and I, we were responsible for all the sides. And they all turned out very well. I did get a little bit of food poisoning during Ooh. the day. Not from the food we made, just yeah. from the food we had earlier in the day. So I was bedridden for about four hours into the evening. So my oh, boyfriend damn. was in the kitchen with my mom cooking. And then I got immediately better after some medication and then we start cooking again so other than that than that little snafu it was a really nice just relaxing thanksgiving there was very little drinking yeah <laughs> we did not get nearly as drunk as you did but <laughs> we made up for it the next day <laughs> did, did he get the full court press or were was no under more. control okay. you know what i mean long story short i don't need to go into it but my parents have been basically living with us for the last few weeks and it's been really nice actually. Mm. I feel like we're getting along. We're, you know, in my little two-bedroom apartment with two dogs and four adults. And we're taking turns with chores. We're going to bed really early because my parents aren't AARP time. We eat by six (laughs) and we're in bed by nine. It's fantastic. (laughs) So no more of these like hard conversations because I think we're just like living as a family at this point. Yeah. They see it. That's good. That's good. Maybe that's what you needed. Proof is in the pudding, right? Like, why ask him if he's committed when he can just show you that he is completely committed? So I think they're pretty convinced at this point. (laughs) Good, good. There you go. (laughs) There you go. Uh, Let's move on to our question of this episode. Someone wrote in and said, in a relationship, how much fighting is too much fighting? Mm, Yeah. Okay, well, there's not much else beyond that question, but I can only imagine you're in a relationship, things are going well, or you think, and there seems to be a fight that comes up every other week. Maybe it's about the same issues Mm. over and over again. And at what point do you say, fuck it, this is not working? Or do you say, actually, this is a healthy amount of fighting? Mm. I don't think it can be quantified, first of all. I think it's one, how are you fighting? Are you screaming at each other, breaking dishes, or are you having just voicing concerns? And I feel like I was so disillusioned for so long that it needed to be these like yelling matches Mm. to express conflict. And I feel like the best way to handle conflict is to just bring it up like a conversation. Yeah. And then it's sharing what is happening for you having them respond to that and then having a dialogue. Like it doesn't need to be this blown out fight for conflict resolution to happen. I actually don't even like the word fighting because mm-hmm. then it feels like me versus you. I feel like if it's conflict resolution, then it's you two figuring out how to deal with it together. Mm-hmm. And I prefer that over fighting any day. So I think it's not a how much is too much, but what is the quality of your, you know, quote unquote right. fighting. I think the other side of it is there being progress made? Are you discussing the same things every week and nothing's changing? Or is it different all the time because things are evolving? I think those are very different situations in my mind. Totally. 
And every relationship is so different. What you may consider too much fighting could be considered just a regular Tuesday for someone else. (laughs) I think it's really important, like you said, Julie, is there has to be progress. If you feel like you're fighting over and over again about the same issues, then you're doing something wrong. You're not resolving the issue. You're fighting Mm -hmm. for the sake of fighting or you're avoiding the actual issue at hand. So it's not I agree. It's not the quantity. It's really like, what is the the resolution after mm-hmm. you fight? Is it that you've made progress to never visit that issue again? Or is it just like, hmm, let's just have makeup sex and call it a day. Right. And then you have the same fight again on Saturday. I think the gold standard should not be to not fight. Correct. We've talked about this before on the podcast that, you know, sometimes the couples that don't fight just resentment fosters and brews because it's built up for so long. I think that's extremely problematic. I would rather hear that people are having conflict and fighting over nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And then the second side is the sweeping it under the rug. I think that's really problematic also. If something bad happens, instead of addressing it, even if it's disappointing to address it, I think having the conversation that it was disappointing to you or it hurt you in some way is super important or it's not good for your relationship. If you're just sweeping it under the rug each time and then it happens again, it's it's like a perpetual cycle at that point. Yes, so true. With the fighting, I think you make you bring up a really good point also is your conflict style is very different. And maybe a good conversation to even have earlier on in a relationship is what is your conflict style? Mm -hmm. How do you normally fight? Because my partner and I had this same roadblock in the beginning because he he is so used to having these blown out fights, which is strange because if you meet him, he's very quiet and peaceful. (laughs) And I just don't fight. I don't raise my voice. I just don't really fight at all like that. So he really thought that I wasn't invested in the relationship because I wasn't fighting at the level that he was used to. So maybe talking about conflict style and then at the end of each fight, there should always be a negotiation. A relationship is a constant negotiation. So each person brings up a proposed solution to this fight and then you compromise and you go back and forth and negotiate from there but never end a fight with let's talk about it later or we'll figure this out or it's fine now i don't even want to talk about it because you guess what (laughs) it's gonna resurrect (laughs) yeah it's so interesting we talk about this in the episode i think vienna brings it up is how did your family fight i think that's so important i mean as a marriage and family therapist it's always goes down to your family and what you grew up with and what was unhealed growing up is going to surface in a relationship. And I think that kind of, you know, brings it full circle to what we we're talking about earlier is that relationships are our biggest healers. Mm-hmm. So like looking at it with open arms, that it's a way for you to grow personally, opposed for you to be right, or, you know, you to like win the battle with your partner, like that isn't really what is going to help you in the long term. Absolutely. Cool. Well, I guess we didn't really answer the question of how much fighting is too much fighting, but (laughs) five days a week. That's that's too much. There you go. (laughs) Done. (laughs) It was a trick question because there is no answer. So (laughs) there we go. Um, Quick announcements. So if you are catching this right when the episode drops, you still have three more hours to purchase Finding Your Person, our special holiday re-release. The cart will close exactly at midnight 
Pacific time tonight on mm-hmm. Tuesday. So Tuesday the 30th. So hopefully you're catching this ASAP. If you are catching it after, we will have the waitlist back up. You can always add your name there again in the occurrence that we do release this for a third time. We are unsure at the moment if that will happen. So if this is something you're debating, definitely get on it now. We talked to some of the members of that went through this program to, you know, get some testimonials and see how things were going. And honestly, that made my day. We were getting some of them Mm. in on Thanksgiving. And I was like reading them off to my boyfriend. And I was like, this makes me so happy that people are, you know, this much development has happened from this program. I think we knew it when we created it, but it was obviously the first time making it and running it. So hearing people say, I feel so much more positive that my person's right around the corner or, you know, the budding relationship I started, I feel so much more equipped to do this. And I know it's meeting my needs and I'm not just falling into a relationship. Hearing all that stuff was so incredibly heartwarming. And we do really believe so strongly in this program. So if you're on the edge you know, we're going into cuffing season, we're going into the holidays, <laughs> the time is now, findingyourperson.com. Okay, before we get into the episode, let's take a minute for a quick message from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by the novel Immortal's Honor by award-winning author Rebecca Zanetti. When vampire demon Sam Kilwood discovers he's the keeper of some mysterious circle, he starts uncontrollably making things explode. Turns out it's never too late to develop deadly new immortal abilities. But even those explosions are nothing compared to what happens when he tries to handle a very suspicious, brilliant, and beyond sexy human female. Meet Honor McDowell, one of the best interrogators Homeland Security has ever had. Unfortunately, her job brings her face to face with the deadliest man she's ever met, and she senses Sam is even more gifted than she is. Yet once they kiss, she realizes he's more dangerous than the enemies suddenly coming from every direction. Good thing they both like to play with fire. Get your hands on Immortal's Honor by Rebecca Zanetti at kensingtonbooks.com or wherever books are sold. Okay, let's get into it with Connor and Vienna. So what is a healthy relationship? I think all I learned these days is that your relationship is really informed by your childhood and your upbringing. So if you know that your upbringing did not give you the best example of a healthy relationship, how do we know what a healthy relationship is? Mm -hmm. So this is why we're having this discussion with Connor Beaton and Vienna Farron, who you know, have been studying this and can give us examples of what a healthy relationship is. But who are they? They're both in their mid-30s, currently live in New York. Vienna's from New York and Connor's from Canada and they're married and they just had a baby boy. Congratulations. And welcome back, Connor. We had him on for a very popular episode called Socially Distant Yet Emotionally Available. That was season 12, episode one. And we're so happy to have you with your other half here, Vienna. (laughs) Welcome, Vienna, to our show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Excited to jam out with this one. Yeah. You You two are so cozy. It's so funny. I'm in New York right now, and it just rained this morning, so it just feels very cozy right now. It's so great that we're in the same city because I feel the vibe already. Vienna is a licensed marriage and family therapist in New York and the founder of Mindful MFT, which stands for uh, Marriage Family Therapy, right? 
You got it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> like there's <laughs> NFT and there's MFT. I much prefer <laughs> MFT. And uh, personally, just for me, I'm going to fangirl out. I've been reading your studies for so long and following your content. And my friend Emily and I discuss your content all the time. So it's just, <laughs> I'm blushing because I'm like, wow, I get to talk to Vienna today. I'm going to give my a shout out to my friend Emily, who's going to freak out because I'm going to call her right after this. Uh, that's awesome. And hi, Emily. Excited to you guys. <laughs> oh, she's going to uh, freak out. That touches me. I love to hear that people, yeah, like read the, the content and talk about it and explore it. And yeah, that's the, that's the point of it, right. Is to offer some introspection and, um, see what, see what shows up when we ask some of those questions. So happy to be here. And Connor, if you don't remember, is the founder of Man Talks, which is an international organization focused on men's health, wellness, success, and fulfillment. Love that. So again, you know, we're here to talk about healthy relationships and how to build one with your partner, mm-hmm. but let's really start with the two of you. Can you share a little backstory of how you two met and became a couple? Sure. You want to start? Go for it. Yeah. Um, well, we we attribute this to our to our dear friend Mark Groves. Um, oh yeah, create the mm-hmm. love on Instagram. A dear friend to both of us. We met through Mark. We were speaking at a conference together years ago, and the relationship obviously developed over time. Connor was living in Vancouver. Uh, I was living in New York City at the time, and yeah, so we had to do a lot long distance for, mm. for. What do you think? Like a year and a half or so or longer. Yeah, at least. Um, Yeah, really like navigating what it was like to be on two different coasts, two different countries, albeit pretty close to one another, (laughs) different time zones, all of that. Um, And then eventually somehow convincing Connor to to move east. And yeah, and gosh, I don't know, we got engaged, we got married, we just had our first child together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first child, not just together. It's our first child <laughs> all together. <laughs> first child all together. Um, the, only, the only child. Yeah, the only child. Um, and yeah, just like growing through life together, doing doing mm. the things. But yeah, I mean, really interesting time to figure out and navigate all the differences and, and challenges that, but yeah, what would you add? Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, I think like with love comes logistics, you know, mm, mm. there's always going to be things that you need to figure yeah. out always doesn't matter on the, the couple doesn't matter the relationship. I think it's just one of those things where just because you fall in love with somebody doesn't mean that it's sort of smooth sailing. And so we had a lot to figure out. Uh, mm. You know, my business was rooted in, in Vancouver, Canada, I was living there, Vienna was in New York. And so there really was a lot to sort of sort out in the beginning of the relationship. But, you know, we we met through a mutual friend, we had a lot in common. And I think it was just one of those one of those things where we contributed to one another's lives in a really powerful way in a palpable way. And yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's probably a good place to pause. So did you guys know from like the get-go that you had like found your person or did it kind of evolve over time? (laughs) I mean, I think a little bit of both. Like definitely it was interesting that before we started dating, I was in New York and we had just like through like through our friend connected and she had reached out because I had put up a, uh, a post just saying I'm in New York and uh, I want to you know, like go out and meet whoever's here. And so she had just hit me up and and I went out with her and a couple of her friends. And uh, I remember having this experience where I went and met her at her apartment and I knock on the door. She welcomes me inside. She's not finished getting ready yet. 
and I sit down on the couch and I can see her. She's in the bathroom doing her hair. She's getting finishing up, getting ready. And just like this voice in my head goes off and it's like, you're going to marry this woman. And I was wow. like, I don't know this. I don't know this woman, wow. from, you know, like a stranger on the street. I was like, that's the most random thing ever. You know, fast forward. How much, how much time was it after that, that we actually started connecting like four months, five months. So anyway, we, we go out on this night on the town. We like go out for dinner and then we part ways. We don't take each other's phone number. We don't stay in wow. contact. Uh, we just like totally went, it, went our own way. And then we, you know, see each other again at this conference months later and really hit it off. And so, yeah, and then the rest is kind of history. This was the first time you met. Yeah. That you're describing. Okay. Well, okay. I mean, we, we had te- technically we had met once before and like shook hands. But mm. that was that was at a different event in Vancouver. I was like, oh, hi, I'm Connor. Oh, hi, I'm in Vienna. So okay, different cool. context. Like, no. So Connor, you knew pretty early on then. Or had so, I mean, something, yeah, something new pretty early. <laughs> <laughs> Vienna, what about you? I, yeah, I, it was actually, there, there was something deep inside of me that knew that this man was, I don't know if I knew for sure that you were going to be my husband, but I knew that there was something very deep in there that was going Mm. to make me commit to what we were having to go through during that time. Mm -hmm. And like, it was like very clear to me that it was worth it. I don't know that I would have pursued or stayed in the pursuit and and the receiving of the pursuit um, if I wasn't like so connected to, yeah, like this is this is going to be someone for me. Again, I mean, I guess I, I didn't know for certain, obviously, but yeah, I think pretty early on there we joke because Connor, um, all the all the New York City folks all understand this, but uh, Connor came to town from Vancouver and um, for our first date was like wearing these orange shorts and like you know so, <laughs> I was like he does not have enough black in his <laughs> in his closet. I was like, wait, I don't understand what this is. And we we're like, we joke around about it as uh, it was a, almost a deal breaker uh, that first. Hey, that's how you know he's different. That's how you know he's different. No, we we (laughs) laugh so hard about that. But yeah, he he came through and to New York and we spent some time together and then he wound up going to Miami. He was he was coming through for work. And I remember at one point um, after we had gone on many dates, uh, he was in Miami at the time. And I said, I would really like for you to come back. And again, sort of just like a gut thing of there's something more here. I'd really like for you Mm. to not fly back to Vancouver after this. I'd like for Mm. you to fly back to New York City. Mm. Um, And he wound up doing it. And I think both of us agree that had you gone back to Vancouver, I don't know if we would have continued the relationship because we were we're like three thousand miles apart yeah and so it's like are we what what the hell are we actually doing (laughs) you know and like i think neither of us were really interested in pursuing a long-term relationship i know that wasn't that was not on my agenda like i was you mean long term or long distance long long distance okay okay (laughs) yeah Maybe a long term. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was gonna ask, like, where was your own personal mindset before you met? Like, where were you kind of in life, yeah. each of you? I had been single. The last relationship that I had been in was a relationship that I thought would be someone that I would have would have married, mm. and it was a big it was a big loss for me. Mm. 
And even though there had been time and space between it, I think there was still a part that wondered or thought mm. maybe this person would reenter into my mm. world. Yeah, there was a tenderness there, right? It was like, you know, this person had had reentered another relationship and Connor was actually coming off of a relationship. Mm. And so it was interesting because it was a very, um, there was familiarity to, for me, in my experience of it, what, there was familiarity and like, ooh, like this is really tender and raw. I've been in the in the situation before where a person can change their mind and, mm-hmm. and go back mm. into a dynamic dynamic um, that they had before. And, you know, as as Connor was exiting this relationship, for me, there was a sensitivity there. I was like, oh, this is either like my wounding or this is going to be such a beautiful healing opportunity for me. Mm. You know, that line is so thin mm. and, and it's so hard, right? It's like wisdom and um, discernment and yeah, like our awareness and our ability to have these conversations with each other is oftentimes, right, that difference maker between just being in a pattern versus being in the healing of something that gives us that new ending. I'm grateful that, of course, where our relationship developed into was was the healing for me. But there were times uh, in in the beginning stages where Connor was definitely sort of pulling me back off the edge a bit because I was like, ah, Mm. this is, you know, I know this, you know, this is so familiar for me. Mm. And I I definitely don't want to uh, experience the same thing, you know, over and over and over again. And so, um, yeah, there was definitely a honest there, even though there had been a lot more space between the ending of my previous relationship uh, than than for Connor. So there was like this fear of history repeating itself that like he was would potentially get back with an ex-girlfriend. Is that kind of what was showing up for you? Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. That I was going to go back. No, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't know that I was concerned about that, but I think just sort of mm. like your, your full availability, right? Right. Mm, got it. Got it. That's like a normal question, right? It's like if somebody's coming out of a relationship, how much time do you normally need, mm-hmm. you know, after that relationship? Because it was, you know, it was a more long-term relationship that mm-hmm. I had ended, that I had exited. And so there was apprehension on her part. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. I and that see. makes sense, right? I think that's even if you haven't gotten out of a relationship recently, we're constantly wondering how yeah. ready, ready this other person yeah. is. And sometimes we just don't know. So something you said earlier, Connor, that made me think, oh, that's so true. Uh, with love comes logistics. So what do you think is the chicken or the egg here? Do you figure out the love part first and then the logistics? Or do you fi- figure mm. out the logistics and then figure out the love part? <laughs> what was it for you two? I mean, I think I think in, in part it was like pursuing whether or not the connection that we had was something that we wanted to navigate the logistics of. Because that you know so, sometimes you're like oh, I, I like you and I appreciate you but the the challenges and the obstacles that come along with this relationship maybe aren't realistic and that's maybe a, a pretty direct way of looking at it but I think for us it was like that time where I went back to New York and flew back there and we spent you know another a week or two together that was sort of like this feeling out process of okay are we going to invest in developing this relationship mm-hmm. and we were both pretty pretty clear and pretty realistic with each other at that time because because you know where we were also at was building our businesses you know we were both professionals both building our business mm. and 
you know, so being honest and and upfront and transparent about what was important to us uh, at that moment in our life was was also, I think, pretty crucial to the to to that. So, you know, I think I think it really is about understanding the connection that you and the other person have, but before getting lost in the logistics, because I think people mm. can go into ah, this is impossible or oh, there's right. all these challenges. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, especially when people are getting together when it's mixed families, right? It's like if people yeah. have been divorced before and they have kids that they're bringing into it, it's like you can get mm-hmm. caught up in all the practicalities and that can erode your capacity to see the genuineness and the authenticity and the and the potency of the connection. And so mm-hmm. I think, you know, we... I think we did a good job of exploring the connection first. And then mm-hmm. once we were sort of secure with that saying like, okay, now now how do we logistically make this work? Right. What is this actually <laughs> going to look like? And and how do we explore this these conversations? Hmm. So I think that's a good segue because obviously we wanted you both on this podcast because we see you and think of you as kind of like the epitome of what a healthy relationship looks like. So I'd be curious, one, first of all, what do you, how do you define a healthy relationship? And then I guess the second part is like, were there ever peaks of the relationship that were kind of like maybe, I don't know if the word is unhealthy is the right word, but you know, like a differing feeling of where you are today? Yeah. I mean, I think that what goes into it for me is the self and the relational awareness. You know, it's like, of course, we are not in a perfect dynamic. Of course, we have, you know, our our conflict and things that require attention from, from the two of us to move, to move through the challenges, the things that are confronting for us. But I think what allows for that to happen is our commitment to our own awareness, right, of the self and our commitment to the relational awareness, right? Meaning like what's mm. happening in the system, right, between the two of us and also kind of relationally like I know Connor very well I trust that Connor knows himself the best but I know Connor I don't know probably second best do you think <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah and I think that's in return too like I know his inner world you know mm-hmm. I, I know his inner world I know his inner map I know the things that are going on in his life in his fears and the doubts and the insecurities etc I know what plays out in the family system and he knows that about me too. And we know those things because we talk about those things, right? We're committed Mm. to sharing vulnerably and intimately with one another. We want each other to understand each other's inner worlds. There aren't a lot of question marks there. I don't, I actually don't think that we have many question marks really at all. We Mm. we kind of lay it, lay it out there. And because of that, right, because we have an inner working and inner understanding of each other's inner worlds, right? Then there's so much beauty that can happen from that, right? To me, that is a huge pillar of what allows for a, whether you want to call it a healthy relationship, a functional relationship, a productive mm-hmm. relationship, a relationship where we have the tools to be able to navigate the things that are inevitably going to show up, right? Like that is what I believe allows it to happen. We need to be able to take a look, a deep look at ourselves, and we need to be able to take a deep look at each other. And I think we do that in generally in a really beautiful way, one where we have compassion for the self and each other, right? Where it's like, okay, I'm human, you're human. And we also strike a really nice balance of accountability and ownership and responsibility, right? Like we can understand anything, uh, why somebody does something, why somebody would say something, right? With enough context 
context, it all makes sense. But we also need to have ownership, responsibility, accountability for like, okay, and that still crossed a line or and there right. wasn't that boundary there or and this still really hurt my feelings or there was a betrayal there or you know whatever it is, fill in the blank. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that I would say that for us, at least what what makes our relationship you know function well is when we are tuned in to our own selves and each other right? When we're up to speed on that, when we're able to look at those parts where there's not a whole lot of defensiveness, right? It's like, we're like, up mm-hmm. oh, there it is. Yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and like being able to call <laughs> that part forward, right? It's, there's so much tenderness around that when we're talking about fears, insecurities, doubts, our shadow. But I think we do a beautiful job of holding the stuff that a lot of people don't like to touch. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like to say like, this is what I'm insecure about. You know, it's like, Ugh, gulp, right? Like people don't want to um, admit that. And I think Connor and I uh, kind of just admit everything, <laughs> you know, to each other. And that allows for a lot of movement and navigation in the things that, uh, like I said, inevitably will show up in any relationship. Yeah. I think what makes a healthy relationship is that the, that the relationship becomes a vehicle for both people to expand within and mm-hmm. expand. It can mean many, many different things. But I think oftentimes that requires a type of radical transparency or honesty that that people are terrified of. You know, the, the truth is sometimes a, a really scary thing that we don't want to bring into a relationship. This is, this is kind of related to Julie's part two question, which is like, what were some of the the more challenging points in your in, in your uh, relationship. But I also want to relate that back to something you said, which is you feel up to speed about each other. But I do feel mm-hmm. like in a lot of relationships, in times of conflict, people hold back as opposed to revealing more about themselves. So can you give us kind of a concrete example of maybe a conflict or a challenge where both of you were able to lean in and reveal to your partner about yourselves? I think one of the major conflicts is like, where do we live? You know, that, mm. that, that was one for a while of like, where, where do we occupy uh, our lives? And how do we make this decision to either be in Vancouver or be in New York or be somewhere else entirely? And that you know, that was a conversation that that took a long time because there was a lot of skin in the game, right? It's like our businesses, right. you know, who is going to move, who's, mm. whose business was going to adjust. And the reality was it was that I was much more flexible on that. Like just logistically, it was easier um, for me to move to New York. But there was also a, a kind of sacrifice in that because I love nature. And so mm. New York City <laughs> is a concrete jungle. And, you know, <laughs> right. I think, it's lifestyle. Yeah, it's a very, it's a very different lifestyle. And so I think initially that was a that was a challenging uh, that was a challenging maneuver, but we, you know, we worked through it through a lot of like open communication, me setting some very clear expectations around timeline. I was like, mm. I definitely am not moving there to live there for the rest of my life. I'm not interested ah. in that. And so, you know, there's a lot like right now we live upstate New York on a lake. And so mm. we don't mm. live in the city anymore. And so, you know, a lot of it was about having these hard conversations where, you know, just because we were in a relationship together and loved each other didn't mean that we did both didn't have to then make decisions about how we were going to co-create the life that we that we saw for mm. ourselves. So yeah, would you add anything to that? Or did you have a different example come up? I mean, I was just going to talk a little bit about like our different um, conflict style. Conflict style. <laughs> mm. uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know, like, because, you know, I'm thinking about 
although I, I, I don't know that it plays out as much as it, it used to, but I, I was definitely more like active in conflict than, than you were. Mm. And, and certainly true, like when we look at our family systems, right. And, and the way that both of us grew up, um, yeah, like Connor, well, I'll, you can speak for your, um, for your experience, but yeah, I mean, I grew up in a, in a family system with a mom and a dad and they separated and then divorced for nine years, no other siblings, neither one of them remarried or really even dated anybody. And so, yeah, I was part of this kind of tiny system, mm. uh, and there was a ton of conflict and, mm. um, hostility through the separation and the divorce process that was very long. And I was tiny. Um, I was in first grade when it began. And yeah, there was just like a lot of fighting, a lot of tension, a lot of manipulation, a lot of gaslighting, a lot of paranoia, Mm. a lot of emotional flooding. I mean, like literally everything you could possibly think of was part of that experience. And it'll all be in the book. It all did. <laughs> uh, um, I learned how to engage with the, a system that operated that way, mm. and especially um, my father, who was a master at manipulation. He was very quick with his words. He was, yeah, I mean, even before like the term gaslighter, you know, was was even mm. popularized. Right? It was like there was a lot of manipulation and. Yeah, just like quick on his feet, right? He's, the, he's and, like the OG gaslighter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. He, in- he invented the term. He invented yeah. the term. That's his middle name. Got it. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I always talk about, obviously, part of my work is under family systems and origin stories. And so I think about the origin story, right? And the first time, right, where I was observing, right, both through observation and through experience, the manipulation really wasn't directed at me as a kid, but I watched the manipulation with right. my mom. and. And I saw in her someone who was not able to stay on her toes and keep up. And it was confusing for her and it was destabilizing for her. And so I watched as a little kid and I saw what he was doing. And so I I talk about how like when you are a kid whose, you know, reality is being denied or you're watching manipulation, like there's something about this need to be right that emerges, right? So I would battle with my dad at a certain Mm. point and be like, nope, that's not what you said or nope, that's not what you did. And I was the only person who could actually catch and watch and like call him on the things that he was doing and kind of trip him up with it. And that turned me into an adult who you know, who needed to be right in conflict um, Mm. because right meant safety, you know, right meant Mm -hmm. um, that I wasn't being duped. I wasn't being fooled, right? That was a position of, you know, stabilization for me. And so when Connor and I would get into conflict, there was this part that would emerge, right? Where I needed to be right. I needed to prove my point. I would go to all lengths to show Connor that he was wrong and that I was right. And, you know, so, so you, when you're asking this question about like why it's important, right? It's like any couple can get stuck in that place. In fact, that could be something that is a massive rupture in in a relationship, Mm -hmm. right? If you're not able to navigate out of that. But because there is at least even if I'm blind to it in the moment, right? There's a willingness to explore like, okay, what's showing up here, Mm. right? And like, you know, and even at the time, I mean, we've been together for, I don't know, five and a half years now. Even when we started dating, I'm a therapist. I'm a family systems. Yeah. You know, it's like I'm a I'm a I'm an expert. I'm a pro at this, right? And it's still these right. are still things, right? That I 
wasn't always able to catch or see or even know. And so sometimes through relationship, the the light focuses in on those things, right? It sheds light on these spots. And there's a desire, a willingness to say, okay, let me look at what's playing out here. Mm. Interesting. Let's hold that thought so we can get into a special message. This episode is brought to you by the novel Immortal's Honor by award-winning author Rebecca Zanetti. When vampire demon Sam Kilwood discovers he's the keeper of some mysterious circle, he starts uncontrollably making things explode. Turns out it's never too late to develop deadly new immortal abilities. But even those explosions are nothing compared to what happens when he tries to handle a very suspicious, brilliant, and beyond sexy human female. Meet Honor McDowell, one of the best interrogators Homeland Security has ever had. Unfortunately, her job brings her face to face with the deadliest man she's ever met. And she senses Sam is even more gifted than she is. Yet once they kiss, she realizes he's more dangerous than the enemies suddenly coming from every direction. Good thing they both like to play with fire. Get your hands on Immortal's Honor by Rebecca Zanetti at kensingtonbooks.com or wherever books are sold. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast, Exit Interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. He upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, <laughs> wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. But she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, you is going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Usually what we see in, in working with people over the years is like people who get into relationships with one another, they consciously choose one another, but they also unconsciously choose one another. And so mm. you might choose your partner, but so does your shadow. So does your insecurities mm. and your inferior parts and your fears and your anxieties. Those things <laughs> also choose your partner. People need to also be aware of that because your your stuff's inevitably going to show up in the relationship. And so yeah, when we first started dating, she was very like conflict oriented, you know, no problem with it, <laughs> mm. like ready for battle, ready wanting for to prove her point. And I was like, what the hell is this? You know, like I'm not, I'm not interested in this at all because yeah. like in my, in my upbringing, I, I grew up between two families and conflict was either entirely avoided uh, or incredibly mm. volatile like really, really volatile, right? To the point of like physical abuse. Oh, and extremes. So, extremes, right? And so for me, she had like conflict that I joke around now that when we started dating, her conflict was like a love language for her. You know, there was like <laughs> acts of service, words of affirmation, <laughs> and conflict, conflict, you know, and conflict. Oh my you want to go? Like, you want to go? 
<laughs> you want to go? You want to go? And so, so I really had to start to adjust because I didn't understand what was going on until one day mm. we were at her father's place and I saw this cycle that had been mm. going on in our relationship showing up with her dad. And I was like, oh shit, that's what's going on. Mm. That's what you're doing to me, right? You're just getting caught in this, you know, and right. I got to see how I was showing up in that space where I used to be the guy that just avoided conflict altogether in a relationship, right? Where somebody was unhappy, I, you know, I'm not going to engage in this. I'm going to go play video games and uh, I don't care. I'm going to go to the bar and have drinks with my buddies. And mm. so I would either disengage or become very sort of assertive to the point of like, I'm not putting up with this. And so it was one or the other. And so I started to have to find this more middle ground orientation of standing my ground, setting some boundaries, being firm, but also understanding where, you know, where are you coming from? Like, why do you need to prove your point right now? What's actually right. behind the point that you're trying to make? What's the emotional experience right. behind that? And so that changed a lot. So it's it's less about the details of the conflict and more about like why we are engaging in conflict. Mm. And that's what couples can get lost in, right? Is we get lost in the details of what right. we are arguing about versus what is the conflict actually telling us about ourselves as individuals and about the relationship as a as a third entity. Got it. So it's like less specific things, but just more of how you two were like navigating each other yeah. and the dynamics between you. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, there's so many questions I have, but I guess the first one is how did you come out of it? Like, cause I know, I think one of the myths that healthy relationships are going to be conflict free. And I think that's just not realistic mm -hmm. from everything we've heard and what you just said, but if you do handle conflict well, it can bring you closer together. How were you able to kind of make that shift from what you were just describing to more of a connection? Yeah, I mean, I, I do think that it's important for people to understand that that conflict is an inherent part of life, of being a human being. And you want to, and not that you want your relationship to be completely devoid of conflict or be all conflict oriented, but right. you want to start to develop a kind of anti-fragility within the relational dynamic, right? You want to develop more assertiveness or more compassion as a result of, of getting into conflict within a relational dynamic. It's not a bad thing, right? A lot of conflict happens in a relationship because something's trying to sort itself out for you to have better intimacy, better connection, better understanding. Origin stories around conflict are really important for for the per, you know for anybody who's listening, right? It's like you know what's attached to that word, you know what's mm. what's the story around it. Your job at first mm -hmm. is to say like, yeah, like what what narrative do I hold here around conflict? Right? What did I experience in in these original templates, right? In these original experiences of conflict in our family systems, what did it look like? Right? Conflict can be abusive, right? Conflict can be passive aggression. It can be mm -hmm. uh, putting things underneath the rug. It can be never speaking about things. It could be mm. the silent treatment, right? Like it could be an endless amount of things. And so it's so important for each person to understand like what is associated with the word, right? What is, what is the association there? Because most people are not like, I want to sign up for conflict because most of the time, right? right the experience with it is that it's, it's safe. Mm -hmm. It's negative. We don't unpleasant. want it. It's unpleasant. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't lead anywhere good, right? We don't, not many of us have models of, of you know, parents or caretakers of parental system 
navigating conflict in a really successful way, mm. right? And I think, you know, part of what we talk about is, you know, seeing conflict as an opportunity for, for connection, for intimacy, for closeness, for understanding something new about yourself and the other. Of course, we don't want to hang out in the extremes like Connor was saying, but so like if you're just happy all of the time in your relationship, beautiful, lovely, right? <laughs> but like there's not there's not a whole lot of newness that's going to happen in that space, right? A new understanding right. of self or the other, right? There needs to right. be many ruptures and sometimes they're moderate and sometimes they're massive, but there needs to be ruptures that that reveal something like like Connor was saying before. And so I always say like conflict is like this, this flag in the sand that says like something very important is happening here that is so mm. worth paying attention to. If you are in conflict, right? If there's any kind of reactivity, your system is telling you that there's something that predates this moment, yeah. right? Mm. That needs your attention, that needs the relationship's attention. And so I just wanted to make sure that we started with like the origins of like how mm -hmm. we relate to conflict as a working understanding of like why you might not be interested in being in conflict, but seeing if there's a reframe here to say, okay, yeah, this is not thrilling and this is not fun, but <laughs> I also understand that something very profound and healing can Mm -hmm. take place here. And it's not just surface level. Well, and I, that's basically where I was going to start is that, it, you know, what we did where we started our process was understanding and starting to communicate with each other about what our origin story was around conflict and how we were both individually showing up in the conflict within the relationship, right? So point proving and then uh, either avoidance or jackhammer, right? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> shut this conversation down. Like starting to understand each other in the sense of why we were approaching conflict from that perspective. So that base level understanding, like a lot of people get into a relational dynamic and they're married and they don't even understand why their partner is reacting to mm -hmm. a conflict or a, a discussion in a certain way. So, but if you have a different understanding of like, oh, right, your father tried to manipulate you and gaslight you constantly and you feel like you need to protect yourself right now. Well, I can have a lot of empathy for that. But if I just right. am focused in on, you know, you're pissed off that I didn't take the garbage out and, <laughs> you know, or I, right. I didn't, you know, for, forgot to buy something, uh, then I get lost in my capacity to have empathy, understanding, compassion, et cetera. So that's number one. I would say a few other pieces. We instituted like a, a cause for a pause, right? So it's like, when do we need mm. to pause within our conversation mm. if it's not going anywhere anymore? And that was an individual responsibility, right? So for me, if I found that I was like completely shut down, like I was checked out, that was a, that was cause for a pause. It's like, I'm checked out. I'm not even in this conversation. We need to pause. And the pause is important, right? It's not saying I'm ending this conversation. It's saying I need to pause this conversation for right now and we're going to revisit it. And then mm. we would communicate, okay, we're going to revisit this conversation later tonight or sometime tomorrow. And then, mm. you know, one of us would re-engage with that. Uh, the other thing I think is having some rules of engagement, you know, like we would have conversation about how we want to actually try and operate within conflict, knowing mm. that you're going to get heated in those moments, knowing that you're going to get angry or shut down or run away or get anxious or whatever it is, creating some basic rules, right? So like what's okay and what's not okay within relational conflict. Again, a lot of people don't put any structure around how they argue, how they have conflict. And so sometimes anything goes. 
you know? And so if you grew up in a household where, uh, you know, I'm just like thinking of a very specific client, like grew up in a very traditional Mm -hmm. Italian household. And so conflict was very loud and there was name calling and that was totally acceptable. Yeah. And, but that doesn't work within, within your marriage. And so sometimes you need to have these very sort of basic rules and uh, agreements that are in place that say, this is how we're going to try and operate. And if any of these agreements get broken, then we're not going to continue to engage. That's another reason for us to pause. Oh, fascinating. I think something else that was really important was that once we understood, you know, the cycle that was playing out, if one of us had like more capacity in in that moment of conflict, which is true a lot of the time, right? Sometimes we're both heated and you're at the same level and you're like, shoot, this is where we need to take the pause and all the things. <laughs> but if you're at a place where like one of us has more of a capacity in that moment, right? More of the facilities are still there. I found it very helpful if I got into that space, for example, of needing to prove my point and he didn't get destabilized by it, right? If he stayed really grounded in that moment and was like, B, what's going on? <laughs> yeah. It feels like you're trying to prove something. So like, what's what's scary right now? Or like, what's what's actually happening in your internal world, right? There was something that was so, that was so um, like gentle, you know, like, and still very mm-hmm. firm, right? I could feel that I wasn't moving his stabilization, you know, and there's something about mm-hmm. like unconsciously, right? Like when we get into the chaos, then it's like, let's go, mm-hmm. you know, but when you can't get the other person to get destabilized again, not like a conscious thing that you're doing, right? But like when you energetically can feel the groundedness, right? And then that commitment of like, I love you, what's happening? There's something that sort of would move me out of that, right? Where there was almost like a Mm -hmm. surrender, very emotional, Mm. actually. I remember many times where it's like, you know, when I'm in the point proving position and role, you know, you, you get like, I got in whatever. And they're like, you can't get through my skin. Like it's strong mm-hmm. and it is hard and it is rough. Right. And there was something that was very softening about that so much. So it was very emotional. Like I, I would cry. It was like right. a surrender of like, oh my gosh, like you get it, you see me. And now I can let go of the need to prove anything right now. And right. so, you know, again, I know that we're not always in those moments, right? Sometimes conflict gets us to a place where we are both very upset. But I remember the first time that that happened, you know, early on in our relationship and just thinking like, oh my gosh, yeah, like you're actually moving me out of a shame spiral mm-hmm. by being able to stay grounded in the space. Because the moment that you continue on, right, is the moment that more of the shame enters in, right? Oh. You double down, you triple down, right? Now I'm like, I'm proving my point, and now I'm really proving my point, and now I'm really <laughs> proving my point. And then and you're, you're like, like, what you was can, my point? <laughs> what was my point? And you're just like, right. oh my gosh, right. this is awful and gross, and you know, and you and you get into that space, and it was like such a profound thing to have someone love me me so much in that moment to say like, I'm not going to go with you there, right? I'm right here. I see you. I understand what's happening because we've had those conversations. I'm going to stand firm in this and I'm going to love you through it. And it was such a surrendering experience. Like the armor would come off mm-hmm. and yeah, I, I could drop it then. I say one really, really brief. It also was very helpful for us to 
label and like give a name to the dysfunctional versions of us that would show up in conflict, right? Mm. So you've probably heard us say it, but like Vienna's was the point prover and mine was the jackhammer, right? Mm. And so (laughs) that was also helpful because we could then identify it's like, oh, she's really in the point prover right now. She's really trying to, it's like, okay, I can hold space for this because I know, I know where she's coming from. Or when I would go into like this jackhammer space, sometimes she would just say it. She'd be like, you're jackhammering right now. You know, she'd just look at me and be like, you're jackhammering. I'd be like, yeah, I am. a label to it. And yeah, so just put a label to that part. And that can be a fun exploration as well. (laughs) Fun. Quick question. (laughs) Do you two see a therapist? Uh, Individually. Oh, individual. Okay. So, okay. And then my other question, my other question is, so it is enlightening to hear this conversation from the both of you, but not every relationship can be who you two are with your backgrounds, right? So in, in, I guess, these relationships where our listeners are listening to, I feel like one person has to lead the way to talk about Mm -hmm. conflict and how to cope with conflict. So in your example, Connor, when you witnessed Vienna with her dad, how did that conversation go down when you had that light bulb moment of, ah, I see this is why she handles conflict? Because I would love for that to set an example for people in relationships who kind of like want to instigate this conversation. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it was just curiosity, you know, because I had also seen her with her mom, which was a very different form of conflict. Um, Mm. And so I was like, okay. So it was just a lot of curiosity of like, what was it like growing up engaging with your mom when when she wouldn't hear you? Or what was it like Uh, growing up when your dad would, you know, know, when you would see him try and manipulate your mom or you would see him gaslighting somebody, you'd see him acting in this way. And you know, to her credit, she did a good job of opening up and and being able to communicate what that was like. And so it was just a lot of curiosity. You know, what happens for you in those moments where you go at him, you know, when you attack, when you try and prove him wrong, when you, you know, turn into like lawyer, mm. <laughs> the, the lawyer. Uh, and, and it was just, it gave me a much broader understanding of, you know, what happens in her thoughts, what happens physically in her body, what happens emotionally underneath that. And so just asking questions and getting curious about what was it like in the past? What's it like right now when it happens? What thoughts do you think? What emotions do you feel? What what do you physically feel in the body? Like, do you want to run away? Do you want to attack? Do you want to, you know, whatever it is? And And that was kind of it. I think that sometimes we underestimate the value of just understanding and getting a really robust, full version of what's going on for somebody in the moment, right? And if we just leave with curiosity, you know, kind of like being a kid again, if you remember, if you've been around a child in like the last however long, they just ask endless questions. You know, they're just so freaking curious, but that's how they learn. And so sometimes we need to bring that curiosity to our partner, because if we can have that type of context, then it can inform our decision-making process of like, well, maybe I should engage differently, or maybe I can ask this question when you're heated, or or even mm-hmm. I just understand what's going on for you in those moments. And so I don't need to react because I know it's not about me. So I think the biggest thing was I got really curious about what her experience was so that I could depersonalize it mm. in the moments where it felt like it was personal, right? Because that's why we get caught in conflict is, is if I take it personally, what you're saying, or, you know, your unhappiness or disconnection or complaint or criticism, then it's a losing battle. But if Mm -hmm. I can not take it personally and I can hear what's happening, then that's a very different, it's a very different place to come from. So I would just say Mm. curiosity, 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 you know, ask questions about what, what it was like in the past, what it's like in the present. 
and let that inform your decision-making process in terms of how you engage with your partner moving forward. Hmm. You know what? There is a sense of irony of like that we were talking about healthy relationships and we've spent the majority talking about conflicts. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I think that that's for most couples dysfunctional conflict is the barrier for a healthy yes. relationship, yes. right? And yep. and we we live in a culture and a society that has sort of Disney-fied relationships and that sells this yep. very fraudulent version of what love should look like, where there's no conflict and you don't have any issues. And it's like, well, that's all bullshit, right? And I think most right. people know it. Most people know that if you want to be in relationship with somebody, you're going to have to go through some hard things. Mm. And so I almost you know, what I tell a lot of men is like, find a partner that you want to do conflict mm. with, ah, you know, obviously right. somebody that you love, obviously somebody that you're attracted to, right. obviously somebody that you respect <laughs> and all these things, but don't forget about this part because if you do, you might be screwed, right? You might find yourself right. in a relationship with somebody where you're like, I hate how you do conflict. And now we're having to make these big decisions together and I don't want to deal with you. And mm. that builds resentment mm. and that destroys and erodes intimacy and it collapses the relationship. And so, you know, if you want a healthy relationship, how you do conflict should be at the very forefront of the conversation. Mm, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I was going to segue us to takeaways because I think that is like the master takeaway of this. <laughs> but <laughs> I think too, it's like when think about, you know, happy, healthy relationships, it's the happy part of just things being good all the time and us, you know, not having that conflict. But what I'm hearing here is it's not that we need to show up like 100%, you know, quote unquote fix. Like that's just not realistic in general. Like we're always doing work on ourselves. It's how do we get to know our partner and how do we listen to our partner? And I love this like curiosity about the partner mm. and how all of that is what takes like surface level and makes it go deeper, which is what builds this bond that makes a healthy partnership ultimately. Yeah. And I think, you know, if people are wanting something that's not conflict oriented, what we probably could sort of wrap with or, or talk about is appreciation. You know, I think mm. appreciation is the currency of intimacy in many ways, you know, and if you want intimacy to, th to thrive and flourish in your relationship, how you express appreciation and gratitude towards your partner, towards the relationship itself, all of that is going to determine the, the quality of the connection and maintain it, right? Appreciation is relational uh, maintenance. And so making sure that we can actually engage in appreciating one another and everything that we do is a very, very important part. And I like I think that we notice when that falls off, like it definitely impacts the relationship. So I just wanted to toss that in there as well. Mm, no, that's great. I think it's like we forget when we're dating that we are two people coming together that have, in some cases, like 20, 30, 40 years of life experience before even meeting each other. And there's so much rooted in their family dynamics, how they were brought up, like all of that, that we can't just expect that there's no conflict and there's no, like that someone's going to think the exact same way that we think. I think that is like what you were saying, Connor, it's a fairy tale that that's when the credits stop at the movies. That's just not how relationships work. And I think people want to bail when that happens, but conflict is inevitable. So I love this piece of how can you find someone that you can navigate it with, that's willing to do this deeper work and truly understand you and, you know, not take it personally and just fight back, but like really understand where it's coming from. I think that really is 
so key in finding that healthy relationship. Yeah, and I think we I think we also need to like check our expectations. You know, I think the modern dating world is interesting and I'm grateful mm-hmm. that I'm in some ways I'm grateful that I'm not in it right now cuz I think it's challenging <laughs> and I think, you know, COVID and dating apps and all that kind of jazz has thrown in some some complications, but I think, you know, uh, just both having expectations of of your partner, of the relationship, but also not being entitled within a relationship because I think a lot of people go into relationships in, in modern dating and they they are looking for someone to be everything for them. Yes. And that's mm-hmm. the unrealistic expectation. It's like you have to you have to kill that off in some way. You know, you have to let go of this idea that the other person needs to be everything for you because it pressurizes the relationship and the other person. And it's a form of perfectionism where the other person can never live up to what we want and expect. And so I think it was Francis Weller that says like relationships grow in community, right? We are, we're meant to be nurtured, right? So I have a a very good community of friends, of men in my life. Vienna has a very good community of people that are in her life. And they are also the container that supports our relationship. And that's, Mm -hmm. that is, I think in many ways, we we kind of forget that in our society, especially as we've gone through the pandemic in the last year and a half. And not just supports by telling you what you need to hear. Exactly. You know, I think like mm-hmm. it's exactly. really important is like I, we don't have friends who say, Connor, you're right. Vienna's wrong. Right. Like or Vienna, you're right. And Connor's wrong just to side and be like, good I, I wish we did or, you know, it's like we have people in our lives who also are curious and say, OK, well, what's coming mm-hmm. up for you? You know, it's like it's not just this siding with, you know, where you don't actually have growth from that. And yeah, I mean, I think I know it is it is ironic, Julie, like, of course, right? You're like, tell us about how to have a healthy, happy relationship, you know, and, and this is, you know, this is, I think that this is a huge part of it, right? Where I where I started Mm -hmm. today was no self and relational awareness, right? Like that the inevitability Mm -hmm. of life and relationships is that there are going to be hard things that show up, even if they're not showing up right in the beginning, right? There are going to be hard things that come, there are going to be endings and deaths and fertility Mm -hmm. issues and that like the list is endless right and to to know that we can do hard things together is so 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 important right and that it's not always easy and fun and lighthearted, right but that there's growth that is there and knowing that line between something that is growth oriented versus harm oriented is is so important Right. It's like, no, of course, you don't want to just stay in something if uh, if there's nothing that's changing. But if there is growth that is happening there, that is, you know, evolving you and the relationship. Right. Like that's yeah, that's it. Right. That's Mm -hmm. that's what we're Mm -hmm. here to do. That's great. I mean, three major light bulb moments for me in this conversation are one, it's not about the conflict. It's about why two people are getting into the conflict. Mm -hmm. Most recently, my partner and I had a whole fight about getting a sideboard. I was like, I don't fucking see a reason to get a sideboard. I don't even know what that is. And he's like, our room's on balance. But ultimately, it was not about this piece of furniture. It's about the fact that I had to prove my point right. And he was looking for someone to feel empathy for him. So that was a huge, huge one for me. And that really connected. Um, you connected the dots for me on that one today. Uh, second, 
light bulb moment is um, asking the question, how does that feel for you? And how did that feel for you? And this applies to anybody dating right now. You don't even have to be in a relationship. We go into dates talking about events in our lives, but we don't talk about how we felt during those events. So it could be, I work here. I grew up here. I have three siblings. And I think a great follow-up question for all of us on dates is, what was that like? How did you feel? Mm -hmm. Tell me more about what you were feeling during this moment. And I think that is a way to get to know someone, peel back the layers, and also promote this vulnerability you know, on these dates. And the third major light bulb moment for me is I opened this conversation with saying maybe none of us have had good examples of healthy relationships. And I was like, are we all screwed? But the answer is no, because even the healthy relationships that have worked for others may not work for you. So the ultimate healthy relationship is what you create with your partner and the systems you create, especially around conflict resolution, Mm -hmm. that work for only you and your partner. And maybe our kids will grow up seeing what we did as parents, and maybe that wouldn't work for them (laughs) and their partner. And that's okay, but we have to create these systems on our own with our partners. And, you know, I, and I think that's the mm-hmm. most special takeaway. I love that you had all of that through, like, you're, you're good. You're like taking notes and <laughs> engaged in the conversation and uh-huh. very good. <laughs> well, this was very uh, top of mind for me because we literally just had this comp- this fight. And I'm like, why am I fighting about a sideboard? Mm-hmm. This is great. Uh, we should probably wrap up this conversation before we go on forever um, since we can talk <laughs> to you two forever. If people want to learn more about the both of you or individually, what are the main websites and resources that they can go to? For me on Instagram, it's Mindful MFT as in Marriage Family Therapy. The website's NewYorkCouplesCounseling.com. Connor and I both, uh, we have a joint course called Get the Love You Want that does walk us through communication, conflict, boundaries, intimacy, self and relational awareness, family system stuff designed to be a six-week course that's open, available. It's going to take you longer than six weeks. Yeah, it probably takes a little bit longer than that because there's some, some heavy lifting in there. We've learned that with our course yeah, as yeah. well. There's, there's a lot of stuff in there. Um, and I also have the Origins of You course, which is a deep dive in understanding yeah, where you came from, your mm. family system, and the origins of communication, conflict, etc. So... Yeah. And then I'm just at man talks on Instagram or mantalks.com. And that's it. You have a shadow work course. I have a shadow work course. <laughs> you can like find that. it online. It's really all about mm-hmm. discovering the parts that sabotage you ah. and your life. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like my last takeaway. I know we're ending this, but my last to- takeaway is that, you know, I think sometimes we think that we need to be like a hundred percent ready to go for a relationship mm-hmm. and relationships bring us happiness. We actually talked to a happiness expert a few episodes ago, and it's really that relationships bring awareness, not happiness. What you were speaking about is that it's always you're uncovering things about yourself in the relationship and all of that. And it doesn't mean that everything needs to be a hundred percent buttoned up because we're always works in progress. Mm-hmm. And your That's shadow exactly. follows you everywhere. That's <laughs> it. Exactly. Into a exactly. <laughs> uh, thank you so much, Vienna and Connor, for being on our show. It is such a pleasure to witness you two together um, on one call. So really appreciate your time. And for all of our listeners, we appreciate your time. And if you appreciate this episode, it'd be great if you can give us five stars in Apple Podcasts or like leave a 
little ni- nice love note. We love all that. That is part of our love language <laughs> um, above anything else. We'd be forever grateful if you did that. We're going to wrap up this episode in true dateable style. Stay, Stay dateable. The Dateable Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Want to continue the conversation? First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Dateable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag Stay Dateable and trust us, we look at all those posts. Then head over to our website, datablepodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable.